Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Certainty Talks. On this show, we talk about the system that we use to get clarity in our goals, certainty that we have the tools to reach them, and wealthy on our terms by rigging the game in our favor. And we share it here because we want to help you reach your goals on your terms. You've been told to scale, buy all these products from every each way, often from good meaning people. So it's not your fault when you look around and you ask, why is my business not where I want it to be? And as, Dan, and as Dan Nicholson says, the biggest risk is that we don't get what we want out of life. Got my good friend and business partner here in the Whale Club, Mr. Paul Sparks himself. Not only a successful real estate investor, but also a certified certainty advisor. If you get value out of the show, please hit the, hit the subscribe button right now. That way we can help more people become wealthy on their terms. Title for today's show, Reliable Income is Better Than Passive Income. I think Paul is on the streak of just poking bears, so we'll see where this goes. Uh, but before we get into that, <laughs> six-word update. What do you got, Paul? Uh, six-word update. The bear poking series continues today. <laughs> now, my, no, that's not really my six-word update. But, uh, I, I'm just going to tie it right into the show. Reliable income beats passive every time. Yeah, perfect. Simple enough. For me, too many things in the middle. So we're doing the solvable problem series and the in the whale club and um you know one of the exercises because we have the journal every week in, in, in our exercises and we're like okay well what is in the middle of the barbell what's in reliable what's in the asymmetric uh upside and i looked at it, I was like crap we got too many things in the middle again i thought we had this figured out paul i thought we had this figured out <laughs> but life happens uh so reliable income is better than passive income. What is the problem? Well, let's go back to, first of all, I don't want to come across like passive income is not possible. What I am saying is I think that's the wrong focus. And I think that's ultimately what the problem is. And it goes all the way back to our crazy billionaire genius uh, that wrote this little purple book called Robert Kiyosaki. You know, mm -hmm. that guy's a nut. I mm -hmm. listen to him sometimes. I'm like, he is crazy. I like him. <laughs> he's but out he wrote there. This... Yeah, he's out there. But he wrote this book that almost everybody that's listening to this show has probably read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And in this book, what was the, uh, what was being sold to us in that book, Steve? Well, uh, financial freedom through real estate. So we were going to take our active income, or not even our active income, how much we need to live, kind of like a solvable problem, how much we need to actually live, and then we can get that passive, we can quit our job, and have basically, for all intents and purposes, FU money, we can do whatever we want. That was, at least that's, that's how it spoke to me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I mean, I summarized that whole book up into busting the false belief that you have to stay in a corporate world. Mm -hmm. And there is a way out, you know? I think if I summarize it all into, that's what we all got out of it was like, wait a second, what? And your paradigm shifts completely. Yeah. There's a way out of this? You mean the I don't have race. to work? Yeah, there's a way out of the rat race. I don't have to work till I'm you know, 60, 65, like my parents and every generation before that. I can go out and acquire rental properties that pay me each month. That'll allow me to quit my job, pursue financial freedom and do whatever I want on the rest of the, you know, the rest of my life. And 
again, I don't want to insinuate like that idealized view of the world is not necessarily incorrect. What I am saying is in in practical application of those things, there's some nuances to this, yeah. right? Well, we might have gotten the order wrong. Right. The order's wrong. That's a good way to say it is you can get there and maybe you uh I'm going to come after the bigger pockets crowd for a second too. Yeah. Perfect. If you're Love listening it. to me, if you if you like bigger pockets, you made me just like turn this off for a second. <laughs> I I learned a, a mute a us tremendous... for the next five minutes. <laughs> right. I learned a tremendous amount from bigger pockets. In fact, uh, that's really where I got a lot of my start in my information. And now I can see that a lot of them, like David Green and these kind of guys, are sort of changing their tune because I think they I wouldn't say changing their tune. Maybe they were saying this all along, and I just was hearing it how I wanted to hear it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's ultimately the problem is, look, the best way to get active income, Jason Medley says this, is having a really high active income. The best way to get passive income is having a really high active income. Mm -hmm. And what I noticed about leaving the, you know, the corporate world and going into real estate full-time is the first step is not to go out and try to get a bunch of passive income. I can tell you collecting a bunch of $250, $350, $550 checks, it's not going to do it. It's not going to do it unless you're sitting on like a massive amount of capital and you can invest that. I just, in my opinion, the, the better route is to look for something that's a little bit more active, but that can produce a consistent floor of where you need and I want to pull apart. Let's let's talk about this word reliability, like reliable. Um, and I'm just going to read a couple definitions here because I just was like, you know, we were talking about this on our whale club call yesterday and somebody was like, I want to make sure I understand the definition of reliable. So let's make sure we're all on the same page here. The nerdy definition says <laughs> the extent to which an experiment test or measuring procedure yields the same results on repeated trials. I wrote another couple, you know, ways of saying this is like doing what you say you're going to do. Someone is reliable when they do what they say they're going to do. Mm-hmm. You can rely on them to do that thing. Uh, it, uh, consistently achieving the same result over and over and over. You put this amount of effort in and you get this out consistently over time. Anything you'd like to add to that definition of reliability? Uh, you can count on it. I think that's it. Yeah. You can count on it. And I, and I think that's, you can count on the person, that's a reliable person, you can, you can count on the results, right? I mean, what's the most reliable thing? Sun will be up every single day. There's, there's not a better bet than that, right? Like, you can just count on this, you can, I mean, we say rely on it. You know what's going to happen. As a matter of fact, that's actually one of the things we'll say to a homeowner. It's like, okay, so you, it sounds like you're trying to get the most amount of money. So the highest offer is more important to you than the most reliable offer. Mm-hmm. And they're like... What? There's a difference? Like, well, I mean, what's more important to you? So, yeah, you can count on it. Yes. I like that example, actually. I hadn't thought. I was trying to think of some examples, and I was hoping you and I could just kind of riff on it. But, yeah, that's the idea of, hey, this offer isn't the best offer, uh, but it's extremely reliable. It means I'm going to close it, you know, and I have a track record to show that. Um, So... So what's the difference? Let's talk about rental properties for a second, because I can think that is the number one most used source of passive income inside of real estate. Would mm-hmm. you agree? Yeah, I would say so. Okay. 
first of all, stick around to the end because I want to talk. We're going to talk about like some of the nuances to these different things. And so we say that real estate is can be passive. This big blanket statement and rental properties are passive income. Big giant blanket statement. Tell that to somebody that's gotten a phone call in the middle of the night that their toilet's out and their tenant is freaking out. And all of a sudden we've got this massive fire drill. Mm -hmm. So it was passive for however many hours or days or weeks before that. And then all of a sudden there's this crazy fire drill. We've got to get something you know, out there. We've got to stop what we're doing. It makes it hard to uh, to always know when these problems come up. And I'm going to talk about some fixes to this. Obviously you're probably thinking to yourself, well, why don't you just hire a property manager? Right. It's like, well, yeah, there's some things that we can be doing to make this more and more reliable. Mm -hmm. But I think the measuring stick should be reliability, not how passive is it? Mm -hmm. Um, because again, there's nothing passive about getting that call in the middle of the night. Yeah. And I think, uh, not everyone is wired for passive income passive in this context with the air quotes um because if they were we wouldn't target tired landlords as a list right what is the most what is one of the main lists we target for buying homes tired landlords why are they tired because it's not passive yeah exactly <laughs> it's not really that passive um there's a reason why and and again this the the risk that I, I I think I always think about this as we're talking on these show on this show mm -hmm. about the risk of being like it's true in some cases it's not true in other cases I guess that's what I want to say mm -hmm. you know this I don't like making these blanket statements across everything rental properties can be passive they can also be not very passive at all well so Depends you're how you purchase. so you're going the politically correct route right so I think passive income is one of the biggest lies I ever sold right like this, <laughs> one of the uh, and that again like you can get there right. But it is not pitched to the sophisticated investor route. It is pitched to the non-sophisticated investor route. And when in that context, I think it's a great lie, right? Mailbox money. It is not mailbox money, right? Sure. There, are, there. Uh, I put mailbox money up there with buy houses with no money, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? It's like it's this marketing ploy. It's this message that like, oh, I can do this, and you'll go down this rabbit hole. Right? You go to bigger pockets, you listen to these other podcasts, and you're like, okay, I couldn't do this. And you buy properties and like, huh, um, I'm not making as much as I thought I was going to make, or it's not as passive as I thought I was going to be. And I guess I, 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 I should take a step back there, right? Because you got Jimmy Vreeland, right? A good friend of ours. And that's what he does. He sells rental properties to W-2 employees, right? So he obviously is selling a turnkey package that works for them. But he's also the service provider of a turnkey product where it is legit hands off. Most people don't buy directly from turnkey providers. They buy the stress assets, they buy off the MLS, and then they have to do it all themselves. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, and I guess that gets at what I'm really trying to say here is let's stop thinking about it as like passive as if it either is passive or it isn't passive, you know, like zero or one mm -hmm. because it's a scale. And I think the rather the better way to describe this is from less active to more active. You know, everything takes a certain level of activity. Mm -hmm. um, I was just kind of jotting down this example, you know. Um, driverless cars are coming out now. I just find that I do find that interesting and like I find it fascinating, but I don't 
I don't know that a lot of us really look at like we just want to get from A to B, you know, mm -hmm. we're just we want to make sure that when we get in the car and we have 15 minutes to get to our appointment across town, that it's going to take 15 minutes and that the car that we're in is going to get us there. I'm not I don't really mind driving like the active driving, yeah. you know, it doesn't need to be so passive because the level of activity that it takes is manageable. I think really that's what we're trying to get at here. And because when we were sold this initial idea that got planted in our head, most of us were at a corporate job or we were like in the process of leaving when we heard about passive income mm -hmm. and it just busted our paradigm completely. And I think the reframe is some of us like we do what we do, not because we don't want to work. It's maybe because we want to work less or we want to work on our terms. So I think the better way to approach this is not necessarily saying the word passive, but it's like defining your bumpers. You know, we talk about bumpers. Uh, Nick, our our good partner and buddy, Nick Peterson, wrote a book called Bumpers. Mm -hmm. And it's this idea of what are your non-negotiables? This may be another way of saying that. What are you willing to do? What are you not willing to do? I'm not willing to take phone calls at 11 p.m. at night. You know? Um, and so for my rental properties, we have, and I say we, my wife manages all that stuff. Yeah. It's like... And eventually we're going to we're going to farm that out to a property manager so that they don't have to so that we don't have to deal with that. Um, and that can start becoming more and less and less active, I suppose. But I just I just don't think that that's the right mindset in the first, let's say, 10, 15 years of your entrepreneurial journey. Mm -hmm. You should be looking. Uh, I, I keep saying this phrase to myself and in my journals is like we got to make the boring businesses more boring and less risky. Yeah, that's it. You know, we're just we're trying to make them consistent. I don't need a flashy car. I just need to make sure I'm getting where I'm trying to go, you know, and I think that's what got me in trouble was trying to I was I was sold this idea of passive income really in two ways. One is you can have rental properties that pay you every single month. Mm -hmm. Found out quickly that that's not very passive. The second thing is, hey, you can build and scale this business and then eventually you can sit in the owner's box and it'll start being passive for you. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, okay. So I'll do both of those things. I'll get, I'll get rental properties and I'll build this business. I want to scale it up and then I'll be able to exit the business. And what I got wrong, in my opinion, what I would do differently if I could redo this again or I would tell somebody who's trying to grow a business is like you got to stop looking at your business as the home run play, mm -hmm. in my opinion, it's not a home run play for a lot of us. Yeah. You know, the wholesaling that we're doing, the flipping that we're doing, you know, for me, the contracting and all the different stuff, it's not designed to hit the home run. It's designed to make sure month in, month out, I've got my 2025K a month to live the life that I want to live on my terms. And I'm more interested in making sure I don't have goose eggs or negatives than I am trying to like make a hundred grand a month. I couldn't care less. The point of those businesses is not to hit a home run. I hit a home run on the other side of the barbell, as we like to talk about, right. with my big development projects, with these one, two, I like to say three to five deals every single year that are just you know, minimum of six figures. A lot of them have seven figures on it. Mm -hmm. And I think that is, I mean, I, I get, of course I'm biased, but like, <laughs> that's the right way, in my opinion, <laughs> to build a financial barbell. You've got one side of your life 
that's it's not necessarily passive. It's just we're trying to build these businesses that are optimizing around reliability and consistency. If I have to put 10 hours a week in, that's fine. I just don't want it to be 40 hours one week, 10 hours the next week. And it's just like all over the board. You can't really know when to spend your time on what. So I'm building those businesses to be reliable so that I have a very predictable output. Yeah. Yeah. And I think going back to your example about, you know, a business, because we have this idea that like, I'm going to sit in the owner's box one day. But there's a couple of different things. If we look at it away from I'm going to sit in the owner's box one day is to I can be less active. Right. I'll give myself permission to work 20 hours a week in there and then maybe 10 hours and then maybe it's one day. And maybe it's half an hour every morning, whatever. But we're less active. It's not we're sitting in the owner's box and we don't have to worry about a thing anymore. I don't know anyone that's successfully gotten into the owner's box and stayed in the owner's box. Right. right? Like it's just you're a lot less active. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that doesn't sound sexy. Sitting in the owner's box, that sounds sexy. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay, running a reliable business that you have to put in an hour or two every single week. That is sexy, but not as sexy as sitting in the owner's box. And then the other thing too, um, you know, you you kind of alluded to this before the call, but like, uh, I was I was uh, I had a podcast I did with a uh, Sharad. Uh, we recorded it yesterday, um, and he works uh, an hour or two a week in his uh, whole uh, in his uh, flipping business, right? And part of that is he 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 monitors everyone's workload. And he said, like, yeah, if someone's workload hits 80%, if they're working 80% at a 40-hour work week, he wants them to dial it back. He's like, you can't sustain 80%. And I was thinking, that's weird because I feel like I'm at, like, 90-plus percent consistently. And I brought that up to my trainer this morning. And what she said was, could you imagine if you had more time? What would you do with yourself? I was like, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't know what I would do with more time. Couldn't bear the thought. And so you were talking about my ties, Right. How many of our friends, how many of our colleagues and our masterminds that we spend time with could actually drink Mai Tais for the rest of their lives? Man, that's like, I think that is the, that's the crux of all this, you know? <laughs> well, what are we, are we lying to ourselves? Like, what are you talking about here? You just want to like, you want 10 grand a month. I mean, that'd be a lot of passive income from rental properties. You mm -hmm. got 10 grand a month, 15 grand a month. That's enough to live off of for most of us. Mm -hmm. It's not enough to have an extraordinary life. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, like that's enough to fund all of your, your basic needs. That's like financial independence. Maybe. Yes. Um, I don't know. There's levels to this is what I'm really trying to say. Right. But my point is like, to your point, man, the types of people that are able to get that type of result are not it's the warrior in the garden it's the lion that is in the cage like what are you saying you're saying that you're just going to get this passive income and then you're just going to sit on your butt and drink mai tais all day on the on the beach <laughs> if that's what you want i can almost guarantee you probably don't have what it takes to build a successful business in the first place more shots fired so <laughs> uh i got into real estate i read the purple book Right, rich dad, poor dad. It's like, man, and I was like, my ties, those actually don't even taste that good. I'm drinking pina coladas all day. I'm gonna hang out on the beach and drink pina coladas all day, right? And so a couple years ago, we go to Hawaii, seven day trip, myself, my wife, my kids, my parents, her parents. Three days into a seven day vacation, 
I am losing my mind because I don't know what to do with myself because <laughs> I have too much free time. I have no responsibilities right now. I couldn't, I could not handle it. I felt like I was going through, a, what was it, detox? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's more to life than just business. I'm not suggesting that, like, maybe you have some hobbies or some passions or um, some phase of your life or your family's life that's really important to be present for. And I, I think nobody, maybe they do, but I don't think anybody who listens to this show says it like, I want to make enough passive income so I can sit on the beach and get drunk all day. Basically, <laughs> I think what we're saying is I want to make enough money so that I can do whatever I want, when I want, with who I want, how I want, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I would argue, again, if you're the type of person that's able to to actually accumulate the business or the level of um, passive income needed to actually have that life, I, I can tell you I probably know something about you. You're probably a fairly high achiever. You probably hold yourself to, you know, you're accountable for your actions. Like you do the things you're probably fairly reliable in a yeah. lot of ways, you know, and the thing about, because we've seen a lot of people build reliable businesses. They don't just sit on their butt. That's not how this works, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think the better way to approach this is to find something that you would do, even if you didn't get paid for it, mm -hmm. you know, find something that you enjoy doing, go something worthwhile. It doesn't have to have anything to do with money. We talk about currencies. It could be because of the impact that you're making. It could be just about the relationships. For me, I do this because I enjoy playing business like a sport. It's just fun to play, to go after deals with my friends, you know, and talk about this stuff with you every single week. Like, this is what I would do. This is what I am doing. You know, I have the passive, quote, passive income. And so let me give you an example of what we did. What I did with my wholesaling business, because I think I realized that there's a certain level that exists inside of wholesaling to make it reliable, right? You got to kind of be big enough if you're going to exit the business and sit in this owner's box. I don't know a lot of people sitting in the owner's box doing one to two or three deals a month, you know? No. Um, you got to do more than that. And I think what I realized was the trade-offs of the things necessary to build that business were not my skill set it wasn't what i was what i did really well and i wasn't willing to like sacrifice what it seems like takes about you know 3 to 7 years for really anybody to build that type of a business and have it be reliable which means it's kicking off like a floor of maybe 3 to 4 deals a month it's rare that you drop below that maybe your average is more like 5 6 7 some months you do 7 8 9 um so what we did is we converted that business to a construction company because we knew it sounds weird. You're like, oh, you took a wholesaling business and turned it into a construction company. It's like, well, we were already doing a lot of the construction on our flips on our on our own. And we knew all of the investors like we know everybody in, in town. You know, I mean, like we know a lot of people in town that are needing in need of good contractors in need of people that they can trust. And so we just started serving them. And this was my first glimpse into like service businesses, right? <laughs> this makes so much sense. That's why I love what Cody Sanchez talks about. And uh, there's a guy named Nick Huber on Twitter and I love his stuff. It's all about like boring businesses. Oh, I love a good boring business, right? <laughs> that's the point of a boring business. And uh, I think that's just underrated in my opinion, in the, the entrepreneurial world. I think 
owning construction companies or plumbing companies or service-based businesses mm -hmm. gets looked down on by these big dogs trying to trying to do big volume. Meanwhile, they're operating on a 40-50% margin and they're living a life that's very predictable because a lot of these service companies, they're scheduled out a good ways, right? There's yeah. predictability. They know what's coming in the next three months. They've got jobs lined up. You know, they're not spending their own cash on these projects. It's a mm -hmm. service company, you know, like you pay me and I'll do the job. So I like to describe these kind of businesses as I want, I want businesses where I'm paid on Friday, every Friday, you know, mm -hmm. and the point of it is not to hit a home run. We're not trying to swing for the fences with that business. We're trying to get it to about 1.5 million in total revenue per year. And I want to just hit that mark over and over and over and over and over again because I've figured out that capacity is right for the amount of effort I'm willing to put forth. Yeah. Again, it's not passive. I spend about an hour a day on that business right now. Total throughout the week, it's about five or six hours. But it's highly consistent. I'm getting a, a check at the end of the month, right? It's mm -hmm. not on Friday. I wish it was. It's on the end <laughs> of the month, right? And I just started looking at this idea of like, let's slow down a little bit. You know, you can use the businesses that you create that are highly reliable, slowly raise the floor, take the cash from that and use it to buy. And, and it's like recycling more and more quote passive income. Mm -hmm. How I'm thinking about that as well, Steve, and you and I have obviously talked a lot about this is why whale club is so valuable to me is because of the people that are in it. It's because of the relationships that I have with people that are excellent operators and markets all over the country. So here's how I'm building my flywheel and hope that this is like helpful for people that are listening. And it took me a while to figure this out. One side, again, think of a barbell. One side of the barbell, highly reliable stuff. I don't care how passive it is, but over time I want it to become less and less active for me. Right. So that's a service business. We have I have Whale Club. We have Bunny Hill Builds, which is a construction company. Both of those things are just very consistent, month in, month out. Uh, at the same time, on the other side of the barbell, where I'm taking my big asymmetric bets, again, I'm just assuming that you guys, if you're listening to this, you probably heard us talk about barbells before. Mm -hmm. If you haven't, go back and, and listen to something on barbells. I don't know. I don't feel like explaining the whole thing again. But the point is, is I've got my big developments on the other side. As I'm taking profit from, and really next year is going to be the first big year that I'm going to have to kind of invest. It's like, I'm going to be moving that money into the deals of the people inside of my, our program, mm -hmm. right? Um, it's guys that have self-storage deals. It's guys that have single family um, uh, funds that they run. They're developing things, but they are the ones doing it. Right? right. They've got an operation. It's already set up. Some people would, might call this a syndication. Some people could call this a fund. I think that is now starting to get a lot less active. And you're investing in somebody who's already got a very reliable operation set up. Right. The benefit of what we do in Whale Club is we're attracting all these people who have been in business for years, if not decades. Yeah. These are that high caliber operators, high caliber right. operators that are thoroughly vetted because we speak every week about the challenges. Right. We know. And just like, yeah. just like with a rental property, 
You don't want to, I don't want to manage that myself. Like I want somebody else to manage this. Mm -hmm. I don't want to manage my quote passive income. You know, I want that to be something that somebody else manages for me. And I, and in return, I'll take less. Yeah. Right. So what is some guidance we would give someone, right? So we've, 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 we've hammered home. Passive is perhaps overstated, overinflated. We're making the argument for reliable because you can run a business and you can run a business and a lifestyle based off reliability. What are some actions? Someone that's listening right now, someone that's wholesaling and flipping consistently, what could they do with this information? Okay, great question. Um, first thing I, well, first thing is, is it always comes back to the solvable problem. You know, the problem that I noticed with my own life and business was I just didn't define what it is that I wanted. And let me give you a perfect example. I was doing this like up until maybe six months ago, and I'm probably still doing this now. I just, I, I'm, it's easier for me to spot it faster. Mm -hmm. But uh, our partner in Whale Club, Dan, we were talking about just business stuff and what we were doing with the business. And, you know, he looks at me straight in the eyes and he was just like, okay, so how much money do you want to make from this business? And my brain just immediately was like, I don't know, as much as I can, that's, that's what our brains say, you know? I don't know, as much as I can. What I found, and he was, you know, pointing this out to me, is like, that's not a solvable problem. We don't, we don't have any mechanism to know whether we're getting closer from that. So what I told him is if I had 30 grand a month coming in every single month, it would be game over. Like, I really could just sit and do nothing for years and wait for great deals to come. Mm -hmm. You know, I raise a lot of money but I don't raise it in a fund. So it's like, I can wait for a good deal and then opt into that deal and then just sit and wait and explore these different mm -hmm. deals and these options. And so he said, okay, great. So let's work backwards and figure out what that looks like. We run that business on about, it's like 70, it's like 75% profit margin. I mean, there's just not much to it. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's the hard work that we've done to this point to, to get to this point, but we run it with an admin and a zoom link. Like that's it, you know? Yeah. Um, and so simple math says we, you know, I, I will spare you guys all the details. Long story short, it comes out to about 70 grand, 70, 80 grand a month. It's about a million dollar a year business. So yeah. that's actually ends up being about 900 grand. And he, and then again, the light bulb starts going off like, right. All I need to figure out is how to work backwards to say like, okay, how many people do we need to come in with the recurring revenue and the things that we have in order to hit 900,000 in revenue a year consistently, predictably, and reliably. And now we're working on locking that floor in and I have a mechanism to say whether we're getting closer, right? And that's right. the entire point that I was missing with my wholesaling business was it was just how do I go from two deals to three deals and three deals to five deals. And once I hit five deals, it was like, okay, I guess we need to double that again. <laughs> you know, right. meanwhile, not really taking any profit from the business, not having clarity on, well, what are your margins? How big do you need to be in order to actually start taking the lifestyle that you want? Mm -hmm. And that's what I messed up, man. That's what I hope that people are, are listening to this is start by getting clear on how much money do you actually need to live the life in your business or to live the life that you want. Because what I found was I was overbuilding all of my businesses.
yeah. with with saying things like, "Oh, well, I'll just overshoot, and if I come up short, then it'll be okay." And what happened was I was taking on all this extra risk for no reason at all and effort. Um, yeah. Right. So, and that goes back to maximizing. So, I guess for everyone that's listening, is figure out how much you actually need to make in your business net, right, to fund your lifestyle. So you solve a problem, figure out what your business needs to look like. And then at that point, you can have a conversation with yourself. Do I want to grow this business further or do I want to do something else? But right. build that boring, reliable business based off your solvable problem. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what you got to do. That, so step one, know your solvable problem. And if you guys don't know how to do that, read Rigging the Game, right? Or watch one of our previous episodes, right? So step one, figure out your solvable problem. Step two do the math, do the work. What you just did right here, where you kind of shared your example for Whale Club, for everyone else that's listening, and that's, that's wholesaling or flipping, like how much do you actually need every month and then build your business to hit that target versus more in scale? Right. And go lock that floor in is really what we're saying, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, well, and the thing is, just to, before you continue your thought, is like you can maintain a profit if you're not focused on scaling and growing. The problem is that our desire to scale and grow by its very nature forces us to take less profit. Mm -hmm. Maybe this will hit home for somebody, but we stop, we got to stop thinking about it as a line going from the bottom of the chart, you know, at a diagonal from the bottom left to the upper right. Mm -hmm. We got to stop thinking about business that way. It's a series of straight lines and vertical lines. (laughs) That's what it is. It's like, you know, you, that's what I mean by reliability is it's just straight, straight mm-hmm. across, like consistent over and over and over. And, and we get that for however many months that we want to see six months, three months, a year, whatever you deem, and then make a decision from there. Do I want to try to go up from here? Do I want to try to increase this? And what are the trade-offs of that? Right. Let's bring this back to a timer in the currencies that we talk about. Yeah. You know, I've, I was reading a, uh, I forget where I was reading this yesterday, but some guy that owned a plumbing company and, you know, he's owned it for 25, it's probably on this guy, Nick Huber's uh, thing. I, I love him. Uh, he's just, he's got some great stuff. His whole point was this, this guy who's owned a plumbing company for 25 years found that at $2.5 million in total revenue, he was making a little bit more but spending so much more time and energy, he dropped that down to two, oh, to 1.5. He makes 700K a year. He's got a $2 million you know, mansion on the golf course. He's playing golf all day because he's got a highly reliable plumbing business that's just consistent and predictable. And he found what we call the rule of three and 10, what Trevor Mock with Carrot, I heard him call mm-hmm. pain lines, which means another way of saying is right-sizing your business. It means that... Uh, you may not be willing to accept the trade-offs of what it takes to build a highly reliable wholesaling business, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, It's not the same at three deals as it is at 10. It's not the same at 10 deals as it is at 30. These are completely different, and these pain lines exist. So sometimes what you might realize is you're going across with this very flat, reliable business, and you want to grow, but you realize that at that next level, the trade-offs are unacceptable to you for the lifestyle that you want to live. And that's, I think what we're saying is don't go up so fast that you get altitude sickness, puke your guts out and then have to go all the way back down the mountain. That's not, we don't want that, right? Right. We want to go up. 
we want to stay there for a second acclimate let's make sure we've got everything down that the machine is working at this new level before we start adding all of these new variables and it's the series of like stair stepping right yeah. that's how i think of a good business it should be a stair step slowly over time to build that new floor and continue locking in your reliability at each new level i would say as anecdotal evidence this is not scientific this is purely observations and being in the business now for 16 years. Six salespeople is about that number. Once you get past six salespeople, you got to have more than one sales manager. And then this is where like things start to break. So if you're gonna go to six, if you wanna get past six salespeople, which is fine, right? Because we teach sales leadership how to manage salespeople. If you wanna get past six, then you better be prepared to go to like 36, right? Which is like a huge jump but because you're gonna to have to have multiple sales manager anyway. And you have to have someone to manage those sales managers. So like, I would say as an organization, this is what I've seen as a realtor, as a wholesaler, in multiple masterminds throughout the years, six is about that number before you lose your mind. And by the sure. way, some of us lose our minds at two or three, but once you get past six, like this stuff, I would say that's the first solid pain line. Hmm. And once you get past that pain line, then there's other pain lines, but that's the first, like, consistently in all my years, six, uh, six, I say six salespeople, you're talking about service and plumbing. It could be the same thing, like managing six plumbers. But every business is going to have its own thing and everybody's got its own. Everybody has their own strengths and currencies that they value. Mm -hmm. um, so let's finish the conversation of like steps, you know? So we said, okay, step one, get clear on what you actually need. How much money do you need to live the life that you want? And uh, I found that people have a tendency to say, and I'm guilty of this too, 10 grand a month, 20 grand a month, 30 grand a month. I'm like, stop doing that. Write the things actually down that you spend money on each month. Give me a number. I would way rather hear $17,500 than mm -hmm. 20 grand. Because yeah. to me, that just sounds lazy. Like you didn't actually do the work. You yep. just said, uh, 20 should be enough-ish. Because mm -hmm. if you don't feel this, if you don't have like a connection to this, I guarantee you, it won't make a difference in your actual behavior. Mm -hmm. You'll still keep chasing more and more and more. Right. And so with that said, get clear on what you actually want. Um, and build a business to support that set. Yes. And, and then build a business that supports that. And I would also say like, I hmm, let's say how to say this. I kind of disagree with the notion that when you're starting a business, you have to work 12 hour days. You don't have to do anything, right? It's yeah. working more is probably going to, to yield a faster result, mm -hmm. but not necessarily. That's just assuming that you're working on the right things. Sometimes working more and on the wrong things gets you further away than working less and on the right things. So again, I, it's not a blanket statement, but my point is, is get clear on your non-negotiables next. Get clear on the things you're willing to do and the things that you're willing to not do. When I started, I was, I don't, my time is not nearly as valuable to me as most people say that it is, mm -hmm. you know, it's my energy and it's my tension. I'll spend all my time doing things that give me attention and, or, uh, that I like to pay attention to. And that give me energy, mm -hmm. especially if they involve relationships, you know? So the business I found that I do now, I spend a lot of time on it and it's fun for me. I get a lot of other occurrences from that. So get clear on what those things are for you. Set up your bumpers. 
Do you work on Sundays or not? Do you manage six salespeople or not? You know, what are you willing to do? What are you not willing to do? Um, and then go find something worth doing. You don't have to be passionate about plumbing to build a, a plumbing business if that's worth doing for you. Maybe you have a strategic advantage. Maybe you have a strength that lies there. Um, everything doesn't have to be like your total passion. There's, there's kind of two ways to think about this. One is build a business that supports your passion. Another is build a business that you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. You know, both are fine. I don't care. Pick the, the route that best fits you. But the next thing that I think that we, that we need to consider doing is going and building a business that hits that number, your solvable problem month in month out, because money is like water. You know, mm -hmm. if you don't have it, you're super stressed out and thirsty all the time. That's all you can think about. Again, ask me how I know. It's tough <laughs> when you have these months that are just really big, and then some months you're losing money. There's no predictability. You don't know where your money is. That is a recipe to get a lot of the other currencies, your relationships, your energy drained. Now you're staying up at night. You're not sleeping as well. You know. So take it from me. You want to have reliability on your finances in some way. And I, I'm just an advocate that like, I'm willing to trade some time for that. Do I want to trade 40, 50 hours a week on a, on a service-based business? No, not really. But I am willing to do that at first if it goes ahead and locks in what I need. And over time, I can build more and more systems to make it more and more reliable and less and less active. Yep. So um, if someone needs help with this, what would you recommend? First thing to do, if you, because I just know what it feels like, and I know you know what it feels like to have a business that is unreliable, it's unpredictable. And what I'll say is every single time I've seen that happen, including with my own, it's because it was, it was overly complicated. So the first step to getting a reliable business is to simplify, reduce the number of components, reduce the number of things that need to go right. We got to like check the decisions that we made. I know at one point in time, you thought that hiring that person or that marketing campaign or this shiny new subscription or service that was going to be this silver magic bullet, whatever in your business was working. And maybe it did for a second, but we need to call everything into account. If you're trying to build towards reliability, the best way is to optimize for how simple can I make this to still get the outcome that I want. And we got to stop priding ourselves in all of the freaking like Zapier moving this and all of the automations and all the other stuff that we have. And I'm like, oh man, I made those mistakes too. And I think you've got it backwards, right? You want to simplify first, get it reliable. And then we can very slowly introduce one new component at a time. Yeah. So I, I that's my opinion on it is we just got to slow down and simplify. If we could, if I could build a business that didn't have to rely on Zapier, I'd be a lot happier. So much happier. The amount of emails I get. This zap is broken. Why? Why is the zap broken? I didn't do anything different. Mm -hmm. But now I got brain damage on like fixing. Now, obviously today it's not me, right? It's someone else in my organization. But I still get the emails about the zaps being broken. It's like, why the hell is that zap broken? So yeah, mm -hmm. if, we can, if we can build a business that doesn't rely on Zapier, man, I'd be, I would sleep a little bit better. So if someone wanted more information from you, what, what should they do? Well, you guys can uh, 
you can go to realestatecertainty.com and you can always book a little 30 minute call with me. And those have been, I think they've been really effective. I've been doing quite a few of those and it, I'm not telling people probably things that they don't already know. You know, I think that's what I learned was I, I get that. That makes total intuitive sense. You want to have something reliable, reduce the number of things that need to go right in order to get there. You know, it's why if you want to make sure you get out of bed and work out in the morning, well, you put your shoes and your clothes right there. Set your alarm. You just like try to reduce the number of things that could get in the way of you showing up and doing those things. And that's what I would advocate for you. You don't need me to tell you these things, mm -hmm. right? What we need to do is to get our behaviors to change, to match what we already know. So it's painful. We like to say, give the puppies back. You got to give some puppies back. That's the first step. And everyone's going to say, no, but I need this thing. No, I need this thing. I have to have it. But most businesses die from indigestion, not starvation. Yeah. So if you can reduce the complexity inside your business, you can then start building back with reliability. We help people through a, a program that we do inside of Whale Club do this inside of their business. In fact, we, we use what we call an orientation. We teach people how to orient their decision-making towards the least amount of effort, least amount of risk, and most amount of options. And that's just not how, that's not how I was building my business. No. I was going all in. What all in does is it usually takes a lot of effort. It's risky because if it doesn't work, you're screwed. And now you have no options because if it doesn't work, because you put all your chips in, I guess, right? Like mm -hmm. you put all your chips in to this thing. And so that's the first step as I think rewiring our brain away from scale, away from grow. And instead, how do we lock in new floors, right? How do we build a reliable business that serves our solvable problem, gets us the amount of money that we need, because money's like water, to live the life that we want to live? And from there, then you can start looking at maybe how do we grow that or how do we get exposure to some other types of deals? But step one in my mind is we got to get away from this idea of passive income, at least at the beginning. If you're someone who's sitting on half a, you know, um, uh, let's say five to $10 million, I would say, you could have a game over by just sticking that five million with somebody that could get you 10% or spreading that across multiple operators. There's half a million dollars a year. For most people, that's enough. You know what I'm saying? But I don't think a lot of us are sitting on five million dollars a year. We're trying to build or five million dollars in capital. We're trying to build our own financial security. And I just think it starts by building reliability first. And then over time, we can put, replace those reliable things with less and less active reliable things yeah well said so we're wrapping up here hopefully we're able to give you guys a fresh set of eyes different perspective on reliable income and we will see you guys next week bye everyone